0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Today, your hosts, Brandon Hall and Thomas Costelli here to talk about post-year-end tax planning. Uh, We did an episode before the year end about what you can do prior to year end to minimize your 2021 tax liability. But now we're in 2022, there are still some things left you can do to minimize your taxes. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about in today's episode. We all know minimizing taxes is essential to growing your portfolio, however, another important aspect of growing your portfolio is making sure you have the right accounting system in place. And while there are plenty of general business accounting software options out there, they're not designed for landlords managing rental properties and can feel clunky and overly complex. Landlord Studio, on the other hand, is designed specifically for do-it-yourself landlords. They offer a full suite of tools designed to help landlords save time with their income and expense tracking, as well as property management tasks like rent collection, rental listings, lease management, and tenant screening. One thing I found particularly impressive was its ability to connect bank accounts to view and reconcile transactions from inside the software. And by using Landlord Studio's mobile app, you can digitize your receipts and the software automatically lifts and imports the receipts details. Landlord Studio is also a great way to stay tax compliant, particularly as they offer a number of different financial reports, including Schedule E where rental properties are reported on your Form 1040. You can learn more about Landlord Studio by heading to www.landlordstudio.com slash CPA. Again, that's landlordstudio.com slash CPA. We'll drop that link in the show notes below, but for now, we'll jump right into today's episode. All right. So the first post year end tax planning tip we're going to talk about is the boring stuff, right? And that's going to be maxing out your IRAs. So you can max out a traditional IRA up until the tax filing deadline, which is April fifteenth, two thousand twenty-two. So, if you've not made a contribution to your IRA, that's still very possible to do. And if it, you are in the threshold where you can have a deductible contribution, you can still get that deductible contribution after year end. What about like backdoor
2: Roth IRA conversions?
0: Yeah, so you can do a backdoor Roth IRA conversion at any time. So, if you really wanted to right now, what you could do is you could go ahead and make a contribution of six thousand dollars. That's the yearly limit into your account for the 2021 tax year, and then immediately, literally immediately, just do a conversion to a Roth IRA. So you can put the money into the traditional and then do the conversion to the Roth IRA right away. I mean, you could also put $12,000 in for 2021 and 2022, at the same time, do the Roth conversion, and now you can invest in the Roth and not have to worry about leaving it in the traditional IRA putting it into a bunch of investments that may or may not accrue gains over the the course of this year, and then later on do the conversion. And now all of a sudden you have a taxable event because the earnings portion of the conversion will be subject to tax.
2: And why would I want to do a backdoor conversion? Yeah. So you might want to do a backdoor Roth
0: IRA because basically what ends up happening is you're going to put money into investments over the course of the next 10, 15, 20, 30 years, however long your investment horizon is, And this money is going to hopefully grow substantially over that period of time. And then when you take that money out, you're not going to have to pay tax on it. Whereas if you did put into a traditional IRA, when you take that money out, you're going to have to pay tax on it. And that's taxed at the ordinary income tax rate. It's not taxed at the capital gains tax rate. So you're going to be whatever the ordinary income rate is when you're in retirement is going to be the rate that you're paying on the distributions from the traditional IRA. Whereas with the Roth, again, you're not paying any tax when it comes out. So the idea with the Roth, the backdoor Roth is if you're over the phase-out limits for the Roth IRA, you put the money in traditional IRA, and then you immediately do a conversion into the Roth and then invest through the Roth so you don't have to worry about any tax issues on the earnings portion from the traditional IRA.
2: Yeah, so you do take a tax hit. On the monies that you're ultimately converting into a Roth but the idea is that if you're growing this principle for 30 years and then you can take out all of that growth tax-free then it's beneficial and that's true even if you are in the highest tax bracket at least that's the theory i don't have any hard data points that i can point to right this second that shows whether or not it's beneficial for you listener but there is some risk right there's two things that you got to watch out for one The IRS is aware of these transactions, and they could invoke the step transaction doctrine, which basically says that you took a series of steps to avoid taxes, but in reality, you put after-tax money into a Roth IRA, and you are over the phase-out limit, so we're going to disallow all of the steps in between and make you take the money out of the Roth IRA. They could, in theory, do that, in theory. But the other thing you got to watch out for is the Biden tax plan. Now it's still in proposal mode as of this recording. Uh, Manchin, Senator Manchin is not seemingly not negotiating with the White House or any anybody on the Democratic Party. And things have seemingly fallen apart. But assuming that they pick the pieces back up and pass this bill, you will no longer be able to do a backdoor conversion. And they say that the date is December 31st, 2021. So after that date, you're no longer able to do a backdoor conversion. So If you're thinking about doing a backdoor conversion right now, my suggestion is to wait until we know if this Build Back Better plan, uh, this tax plan, is going to pass or not because they might update that date. They might not update the date, uh, December 31st. And I don't know how it works. Like I didn't read that particular section. I I just read the summary of that section. So I don't know procedurally if you are allowed to do a backdoor Roth conversion for the 2021 tax year in 2022, or if you're just simply not allowed to engage in any sort of backdoor Roth conversion after December 31st, 2021. So just be aware of the build back better plan it's got a potential blocker there for you so if you go and engage in a roth transaction today or roth conversion today you may just set yourself up to fail and you might not know that for you know a couple months just depends on how quickly we either get to a resolution on the build back better plan or it just completely falls apart and we have confirmation that it's actually falling apart and mansion is just not going to move on anything
0: Right, right, right. It's uh, there's a lot up in the air with that, unfortunately. So definitely, you know, definitely keep an eye. I think somewhere in there it said that they were going to disallow it on disallow the Roth conversion on those with like AGIs above four hundred thousand dollars. I think there was like a, okay. a a number in there, so you might be safe. Got to double check that. But yeah, I mean, the the bottom line is these things are still you could still make contributions to a Roth or a traditional IRA pending the, your income and phase out limits until April 15th, 2022 for the 2021 tax year. So that's something that's still available to you. And if you can make deductible contributions to traditional IRA, we're not going to go through all the rules here today you could, uh, in terms of phase outs and stuff because it gets complicated, but you can still make those contributions up until that point.
2: Yeah, yeah. So maybe you just wait, right? Maybe that's the, the recommendation is just wait until maybe early April. I don't like pushing things to you know April 14th, April 15th. So don't wait that long. But maybe first week of april you know if you want to do a backdoor roth conversion just wait until first week of april uh, i believe you can't you even extend your returns and go all the way to the extended deadline not with the contributions um, not with the okay. that's
0: that's that's stuck at the april 15th deadline regardless yeah. of whether you extend or not
2: yeah okay it's funny, man. I know, I know, Section four sixty nine inside and out, but it's these little. Uh, <laughs> it's almost like what I what I consider like the basic stuff that I uh, forget the nuances. So glad to have you on the podcast. Well, well,
0: well the only reason I know is because I'm just drilling questions every day for the CFP, and literally, I just finished the uh, the retirement account section. So there you go. So yeah,
2: it, Tom's studying for the CFP. Everybody, I don't know if we announced that yet, but studying for the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner. Our goal is to open up a wealth management practice here at the real estate CPA. So we can help all of our clients with investment decisions and uh, both on on the real estate side and on the equity side. So we're really excited about that.
0: Right, right. That's gonna be super exciting when we're able to launch that. But just to keep it, go back on track here for what you can do post year end for tax planning. Uh, You can also, if you had opened up an HSA or already had an HSA account open prior to the end of 2021, you also have until April 15th to max out your contributions to your HSA. And uh, those HSA contributions are tax deductible, and there are no income limits. It doesn't matter if you make $500,000 or you make $100,000, you make $2 million. Contributions to HSAs remain tax deductible. So if you have one of those accounts and you have not maxed it out yet, there's still still time to max out your HSA.
1: So,
2: So I've got a practical question for you. And this, this kind of ties into taxes and hopefully this will bring value to all of our listeners. So we just renewed all of our health plans at the firm here. And, you know, we provide health care for our health plans. We cover the premiums for our employees. We're, we're really excited about this year because now we're covering a hundred percent of premiums for our employees, as long as you're on that, that high deductible plan. And then we basically apply that premium to everything else. Anyway, that's beside the point. But so I'm looking at the, Three health plans we have right and the for me because i have a family i have a right. spouse and two kids you know the premium goes from 430 a month to like 1200 dollars a month which is ridiculous on the uh <laughs> i guess that's a premium cost or a different conversation 1200 a month for the high deductible health plan but then the super low deductible health plan so our, our third health plan the like the 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 cadillac health plan i don't want to say cadillac ferrari rolls royce Let's do that. Bentley, Bentley health plan. Our Bentley health plan is, uh, or McLaren maybe what's like a super extremely, uh, super Allegra. I don't know. Anyway, we'll just, we'll go with the McLaren health plan has, uh, a $1,500 a month premium. Okay. So I was sitting here and I actually did this myself, but I should have asked you. So now I'm going to just ask you if I did the right thing and we're going to do this live. And you can tell me if I did or not in front of our, no. uh, what do we, what do we have? 70,000 listeners a month. Yeah. Um, I chose the, the big plan instead right. of the high deductible plan. So I'm paying an extra $300 a month for the McLaren plan, which has a much lower deductible, $3,000 deductible uh, versus the high deductible, like 9,000 or whatever deductible was. But I can't contribute to the HSA. So I'm paying $3,600 more in premiums
1: right.
2: for a lower deductible plan, 100% coinsurance after the deductibles hit. But our our high deductible plan is the same thing. Once you hit the deductible, the nine k deductible, hundred percent coinsurance. But I'm I'm giving up that HSA contribution and the tax deductions associated with it. How do you analyze something like that? Because I was okay. I was like thirty six hundred extra dollars. I'll just go with that. But then I was like sitting there thinking like, yeah, but if I could sock away money, because how much how much can you put into an HSA for? A married couple
0: for for a married couple, I'm pretty sure it's seven thousand three hundred dollars for a family. So seven thousand three hundred dollars per year.
2: It's just I thought that was single. That's not double. That's not so that's a single. Not a single is thirty six fifty. dollars okay. so. so seven thousand something times thirty seven percent. What is that? Like seven fourteen twenty one twenty eight hundred dollars twenty seven hundred dollars. Yeah, see. It's no, it's less for, than that. 20, no,
0: we're we're looking at twenty 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 seven hundred.
2: Twenty seven hundred. Okay, man, I can't do math today. Not enough coffee. Uh, so twenty seven hundred dollars in tax savings. If I socked away, if I maxed out the HSA, the earnings can then grow tax free. Then I can use that. I can use those earnings to pay for you know healthcare stuff. Right. Did I do the right thing? Did I do the right thing by paying an extra thirty six hundred dollars a year in premiums? and foregoing this HSA contribution?
0: Yeah, you know, that's a good question. You know, I'd have to put everything probably down an Excel spreadsheet and look at, you know, look at the numbers. But I think if you have a family, right, and you have two kids, two young kids, you're probably going to have more out-of-pocket expenses. You know, you're going to have more healthcare-related expenses throughout the year. So having that lower deductible probably makes more sense because if you go, you know, once you hit that deductible, you're not paying out of pocket anymore, right? So probably if you have a kid, you probably, you have have to look at what your healthcare costs are, are going to be for the year and say, and do an analysis to determine what would make the most sense. But with two young kids, I would imagine you're going to hit the deductible and then whatever is beyond that, you're not going to have to pay and you're going to be in a better position in the long run um, in terms of uh, reducing healthcare costs today.
2: So if the HSA plan was a I think it was a $9,000 for a single person and it was 18K for a family. So maybe that was the big difference. And then the McLaren plan was 3K deductible, 6K family. But I don't even know how that stuff works, man. Cause like each my spouse and myself both have our own deductibles. I don't know, super confusing, but I guess the way that I was thinking about it, if I was single, the way that I'd be thinking about it was if I added an extra $3,600 in premiums to reduce my risk, my healthcare risk, what's the spread on the deductible on the HSA plan versus the deductible on the McLaren plan, the spread's six K. So if I pay more in premiums, then I reduce my risk of having to pay six K out of pocket. But at the same time, I can even hedge that further by contributing to an HSA. I don't know, I mean, It's still so confusing.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of analysis. Why you hire CPAs, folks. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, look, look, there's there's a lot of analysis that has to go into it for making, you know, uh, a decision for each and every person depending on what, you know, what their health care costs are going to be for the year and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I can say the reason why I, I want the high deductible health care plan is because I'm single and knock on wood. I'm pretty healthy. So I have virtually no healthcare costs that come out of pocket each year. And um with that said, it just makes more sense to be on a high deductible healthcare plan and just put money into an HSA because I have no cost. Now, having said that, if I had kids, I know that I would have healthcare costs that I would have to pay and I would have to do an analysis to determine, okay, well, here's the amount I expect to probably pay, you know, in you know, out of pocket for you know healthcare costs between deductibles and all that, versus how much would I be able to save with the HSA and I have to do an entire analysis to, to figure that out.
2: Nah, dude. I just tell my kids to sweat it out.
0: <laughs> I mean,
2: they're three hey. months and in, in two months, uh, three months and two years old. But sweat it out, you'll be fine. Yeah, I mean I don't daddy's not spending money on health care. <laughs> da-
0: daddy <laughs> chose spending. the high deductible of a healthcare plan this year <laughs> and we're not we're not going to the doctor. Okay. <laughs> so you, you sit tight but <laughs> <laughs> all
2: right. So uh so you can retroactively contribute to an HSA. Yeah, so
0: you,
2: you could do it yeah. after year
0: end. So you can do it up until April 15th for 2021.
2: So here's a cool tax strategy for for everybody to uh to remember. let's say that you didn't contribute. To your HSA last year. You didn't make any contributions. Okay. And because you didn't make any contributions, you know, you, you might be thinking, oh, well, I, you know, I paid for all these healthcare costs, but because I didn't make any contributions, I can't deduct anything. And that's not true. You can retroactively make that contribution. So you can recapture that spend. And there's a whole, you know, you can contribute and then immediately distribute it back to yourself, which is also beautiful because you can reimburse yourself for healthcare costs. That you right. paid out of pocket from an HSA, right? So if you didn't use the HSA, you can put money into it and then immediately take it back out. You know, don't do it without talking to a CPA first. But really neat tax strategy. We actually used to deploy that all the time with our clients. I don't know if we still still do on the, yeah. with the planning. I, but
0: yeah, I mean, I think I think we we do in certain situations um, when it comes to more of like that type of like retirement esque planning, but a lot of our planning these days has to do a lot about focusing on how to reduce taxes with with real estate specifically. But um, if that's something somebody wants to talk about, we're more than happy to bring that to the table. Uh, One of the HSA strategies a lot of people use Rose, in there is what they do is they max out their HSAs every year, they go ahead and they invest their HSAs, and they save their receipts for their medical expenses, and they just accumulate their receipts. And hopefully they store them somewhere safe. And then they're gonna the plan is to let their money grow in the hsa and then at some point later on down the line they're going to go ahead and reimburse themselves for all their medical expenses because there is no deadline at this moment of when you have to reimburse yourself so you know i can incur an expense a medical expense in 2021 or 2022 and wait until 2044 to go ahead and reimburse myself for those expenses and that would leave the principal intact within the HSA account to continue to grow uh, through whatever investment vehicle you choose and then later on take it out. So that is an option. People do do that. Or to Brandon's point, some people will make the contribution after year end and then reimburse themselves for expenses they incurred the prior year after year end. So there's there's a lot of flexibility in how you use that plan. But for right now, just know that you could still go ahead and make a contribution if you
2: have it already. You just said uh, do do that. Do do that. You said do do on the podcast. Well, (laughs) once you, uh, once you hear it, you can never unhear it. Right. So I I do this all the time. And my wife calls me out on it because I'll be, I'll be like, yeah, people do do that all the time. She'll be like, oh, they do do. And (laughs) now now that I hear that, I'm like, oh, I can't unhear it. Anyway, don't cut this part. This, This is Yeah. Anyway. Good stuff all right what else you got for us
0: all right all right so we we get this question a lot uh, from clients all the time and that's you know can you do a cost segregation study after your end or do you have to do it po- uh, prior to the year coming to a close and the answer to that question is if you have purchased a property let's say for example in 2021 you place that property in the service which is typically means it's listed and rent ready if not already rented and then that property is going to be reported in your 2021 tax return as a rental property on schedule e or the 8825 for your partnership or s-corp etc etc we're not going to go into all those details but the cost segregation study does not have to be performed in 2021 it can be performed in 2022 as long as it's ready to be reported On your 2021 tax returns by the tax filing deadlines including extensions so that's going to be by april 15th if you're an individual and you don't extend your return or it'll be by october 15th if you're an individual and do extend your return or by march 15th if you don't extend and you're an entity such as a partnership or until september 15th if you are Entity do extend, so you have until the deadline again, including extensions, to have the cost segregation study performed and reported on your tax return. You do not have to do it in twenty twenty one. The key is the property just needs to be placed in service in twenty twenty one.
2: Now, why do they have such a big? Like, well, why is this even a thing? We will have people come to us that say, "Why do I need right. to do this before the end of the year? Why do I need to do a cost study before the end of the year? Why? What's prompting them to do that?"
0: What's prompting yeah. them to, to ask why do I need to do one before the end of the year? Yeah. I think it's just people, you know, see 1231 as a cliff and that the study for some reason needs to be completed before the end of the year in order to report it on your 2021 tax return. Um, sometimes it is the year end planning rush, I suppose, but I don't know why where that question comes from, other than just the 1231 cliff. And most people, you know, might not know that this is something that can actually be done after the fact.
2: Yeah, I think there's there's another factor as well, which is the cost segregation companies pushing right. people to, right. to do a cost segregation study before the end of the year. And the reason that they're doing that is they're just trying to hit year-end sales numbers, right? right. So, I mean, right. all of our companies, our, our company included, we have a 1231 cutoff. And if we want our revenue and profitability to look really good so that we can you know, pay our partners out, pay big bonuses to our staff, we have to try to do a push at the end of the year. Well, cost seg companies are doing that. So just be aware of that. That, And it's not, it's not malicious. It's not a bad thing. It's just that you don't have to do a cost segregation study within the same year that you acquire the property. You can do it, like Tom said, all the way up until you file your tax return on October 15th or September 15th, if we're talking about a company that has a, an extended deadline of September 15th.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even think about that, but yeah, I mean, cost segregation studies, like every other company's company, if they're on the cash basis, they want to try to get as much, they want to try to get as much revenue in as they can before the end of the year. And their sales reps probably want to make their numbers too. So they right. want to get everything in. So right,
2: they're they, they're trying to get big commission checks for Christmas and stuff like that. Right?
0: Yeah. And they're not necessarily doing you a disservice. Like you said, if you do it before year end, that's fine. Uh, but if you yep. do it year after that's fine too. In fact, you can usually, you can even do it several years after that fact, but it does come with a lot. It does come with more uh, reporting complexities and does usually increase your tax filing costs if you wait too long. So uh, the bottom line is you want to usually get it done for the year and reported for the year you acquired the property and place in the service. So that would be 2021. You don't have to do it in 2021, but you want to usually have it done for that first year when you originally placed that property in service to keep everything as streamlined as possible. All right. So we we have another one here, and that's going to be a making retroactive S-corp election. Uh, this is usually something that small business owners, if you're a consultant, maybe you're a real estate agent, property manager, basically any type of business where you're generating revenue and you're a small business, the S corporation may make sense for you to help you minimize your exposure to the self-employment taxes, which is currently 15.3% on the first, I believe it was $141,000 or so of income in 2021. So you can make a retroactive S corporation after year end. It's it's another tax planning tool you can use.
2: Yeah. And so let's talk about why you would want to do that, right? And who can actually do that? First, you have to have an LLC or a C corporation set up. So you got to have an LLC or a C corp set up. You You can't retroactively tax your sole proprietorship as an S corporation, right? It's a tax election on an entity that already exists. That's right. the key. So if you are, you've are you been running everything out of your own name, you don't have an LLC or a C corp or whatever set up, then this is not going to apply to you. It could apply to you this year though. So pay attention. Now, when do you want to do this? Really, you only want to run an S corporation if you have earnings from self-employment. And the reason for that is that your earnings are subject to a 15.3% self-employment tax. When you're a W2 employee, you pay 7.65%, your employer pays the other 7.65%. And that's what's always funny about like how, you know, these rich people never pay taxes, but in reality their companies pay millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars in social security and medicare taxes every day, but nobody talks about that because that's this the hidden tax that nobody talks about. Even even people that, you know, prepare their own taxes, they're like, "Oh, my effective tax rate is so low." I'm immediately like, yeah, but what do you pay in Social Security and Medicare taxes? Because everybody forgets about this extra 7.65% tax that they're paying on their wages every single month. So you pay 7.65%, your employer pays 7.65%. When you're self-employed, for purposes of the Internal Revenue Code, you are treated as an employee and the employer. So you get the lovely benefit of paying both halves for yourself. So you pay 765 as the employee and another 7.65% as the employer, total 15.3% tax. That's called a self-employment tax. So if you're a wholesaler, if you're a real estate agent, if you are a flipper, a builder, even arguably a capital raiser, you could be in a self-employment situation where you are having to pay a 15.3% tax on your earnings. And you would want to route those earnings through an S corporation so that you can reduce your exposure to that 15.3% tax. You're not going to be able to eliminate it. If you are eliminating that 15.3% tax, congratulations. You will most likely be getting an audit letter within the next three years. They are ramping up audits on S corporations. It's an audit priority. They're hiring more people, more revenue agents to come in and audit S corporations. Make sure you're paying yourself a reasonable Salary. We have done a ton of content on reasonable salaries in the past. So feel free to go and try to find prior podcast, Check out our YouTube channel. If you need help, we have a whole system that we've developed to help people with it. Um, so you can check us out at realestatecpa.com. But uh, reasonable salary, you got to pay yourself a reasonable salary. And whatever you pay yourself is subject to that 15.3% tax, but the extra avoids it. So if I've got $100,000 of net income from flipping real estate or flipping homes, and I'm running that on a Schedule C, sole prop, or even a single member LLC. I'm going to pay $15,300 in self-employment taxes. And then I'm going to pay my marginal tax rate on the $100,000. And then I'm going to pay my state tax rate on the $100,000. So I'm easily in you know the 50% or so tax bracket or 50% tax rate. That's probably not true. My, my effective tax rate, every dollar that I, that I earn, I'm probably more like 30 or so percent. But I'm a, I'm a lot higher as a self-employed business owner. Um, on every dollar of earnings, my my effective tax rates can be a lot higher than a W-2 employee because I have this self-employment tax burden. So if I shift that 100 k into an S corporation, maybe I've determined that my reasonable salary is $50,000. So I pay myself a $50,000 W-2 wage. You have to run payroll. You have to do this all legitimately. You can't just do it haphazardly. It's not going to be legit pay myself 50K W-2 wage. That is subject to 15.3% tax, that self-employment tax. The additional $50,000, because remember, I earned 100K total, 50,000 is being paid out as a W-2. The remaining 50K just sits in my S-corporation checking account. I can distribute that out to myself, It's considered a cash dividend, and it avoids that 15.3% self-employment tax. In this example, when I was running everything on a Schedule C, My $100,000 was subject to a $15,300 self-employment tax. When I moved it into an S corporation, paid myself 50K of W-2 wages, the remaining 50K is taken out as profit. My self-employment tax is $7,650. I've cut it in half. I've saved, uh, this example, I've saved $7,600 by moving it to an S corporation. But you have to have an LLC set up. If you don't have an LLC set up and you want to do this this year, go set up an LLC today. Go do it right now. It does not take long. You, you do need to make sure that you do it correctly from a legal protection standpoint, you know. But you can go to the Secretary of State website and set up a, an LLC in a matter of maybe 30 minutes tops. So go, you can go do that today. But yeah. today would be your start date that you could retroactively tax an S corporation on, right? So you can only yeah. go back as far as that start date of the LLC and up to three years and 75 days, I think, is what you can use.
0: Yeah. And something I want to throw in there, we've gotten some confusion out there recently with some, with some folks thinking the tax smart investor community or some potential clients we were working with. I forgot exactly where it came from, but here's how this works, right? So for 2021, if you wanted to execute this for 2021, you would have had to have an LLC set up in 2021 and received the revenue in the name of that LLC. So say you had a single member LLC, and you received all your income through the single member LLC, then you'll be able to make that retroactive S corporation on the single member LLC. Like Brennan said before, if you're a sole proprietor and say let's say I'm a sole proprietor, my name is Thomas Castelli and I receive all my money in my personal name, I cannot go back and retroactively do that. So to Brennan's point, if you wanna execute this strategy in 2022, what you're gonna to wanna to do is set up an LLC and start receiving the revenue in the name of the LLC now, you can make the S-corp election right away, or you can wait until after the year, or if you wait closer you get to year end, or even after year end to make the S Corp election for 2022. But the key is the LLC has to be there and you have to receive the money in the name of the LLC.
2: And and to actually add on that real quick, you know, so sometimes we get we get people that hear about the strategy and it's like November and they're like, okay, well, I'll just go set up an LLC real quick.
1: Right. Well, that,
2: that that's great, but you can only retroactively tax the S-corp to the date that you started the LLC and that you started running income through the LLC. So if you set up an S-corp on November 1st, then all of the income that you've earned prior to November 1st is not eligible to be routed through the LLC, the S-corp strategy, right? So it's only November and December. So it's it's not going to be beneficial unless you have the LLC set up in the beginning of the year, at the beginning of the year. So, So you really need if this is appealing to you right now and you don't have an llc set up you need to go do that now um and again make sure that you you handle the legal stuff too right. you you really need an operating agreement to lock your llc down and and uh, protect it from creditors so so make make sure that you you do double check on that side too we're just telling you the tax piece but there are a couple caveats that I want to highlight anytime that you retroactively tax something as an s corporation you have to run payroll and anytime you retroactively run payroll, you're going to be subject to potential penalties for late payroll runs, right? If, if I tax my, my LLC as an S corporation today, now it's January, 2022. So I'm going to retroactively tax my S corp, you know, for all of 2021, I'm going to treat it like an S corp. And now I'm going to run this retroactive big one-time payroll to reclassify all of my 2021 distributions to myself as wages or, or portion of them as wages, but now what I'm doing is I'm I'm just submitting late payroll, okay? And that's going to subject me to penalties. It's going to subject me to IRS letters and state letters. So I'm just going to be prepared for that. Um, the penalties are not large. First time, typically first time you can get, you can work with the states, especially to get them abated. But you're going to have, you're going to have an additional administrative headaches is my point. It's going to take some time for you. You're also going to have to set up payroll typically you can use like a software. We, we always recommend using Gusto, G-U-S-T-O. I think it costs like four or 500 bucks a year. You're also going to have to pay for an S-Corporation tax return, form 1120-S. And that's going to cost you probably $1,500, $1,800 a pop, even on the simplest businesses. So you got to factor in the costs, okay? So there's costs involved. Um, I, if you budget 21 to $2,200 a year, you're probably safe. So you want to make sure that your tax savings Exceed that, which is why you hear CPAs say, "Hey, you really need to be netting like sixty, seventy thousand dollars in your business before running this S corporation makes sense." So just just factor in the costs, factor in the additional administrative time, especially the first year. You're gonna get letters. People hate getting letters. Just be aware that that's going to happen, and then make sure that you have a conversation with your CPA about the qualified business income deduction. We're not going to go into that right now, but an S corporation impacts the amount of that QBI deduction that you can claim in your taxes. So please please make sure that you touch base with your CPA before you make an S Corporation election.
0: Right, 100 percent. And one last thing I want to say on S corporations before we move on is that yes, you can use, we did a lot of talking here on this podcast about setting up an LLC and taxing it and retroactively having it tax as an S corporation. That's a perfectly legitimate way to go about using an S corporation. But you can also just use a plain S corporation if you wanted to. Now, you can't; you wouldn't be making a retroactive election or anything like that on an S corporation, but using an S corporation itself would be effectively the same thing from the tax side. So just want to make that clear. You can use an S corporation or you can have an LLC and tax the LLC as S corporation. But anyway. Moving on to one last thing we want to mention here for uh, post year in tax planning, and that is gathering your time logs for the real estate professional status or short term rentals. If you're trying to prove that you materially participated in your short term rental activity, you want to make sure that you have those time logs set and ready to go now, if you haven't already did that last year, because the longer and longer you get away from the prior year, the more and more time passes. The harder and harder it's going to be for you to accurately create a time log that reflects what you did the prior year. Like I always say, and I've mentioned this in other podcasts. You know, as a CPA, I'm used to tracking time, and you know, trying to track time from last week is a challenge. You know, if you didn't write everything down and you didn't take good notes and everything, or you didn't have a really good calendar system set up to go back and and look at what you did. So I, I could only imagine for for people who aren't used to tracking their time on a regular basis, how, how, how hard that might be to try to go and do it accurately. Remember, the IRS and the task force, they're going to be looking at your log and they're going to see, is this credible? And is this a reasonable log? And they know that people will go and retroactively create it. And if they sniff out that it was retroactively created and it doesn't look credible, they can throw out your entire position. So the bottom line is, if you haven't already completed your time logs for 2021, if you're looking to make a real estate professional election or you're looking to uh, materially participate in your short-term rentals to make the losses non-passive, then you're gonna wanna make sure those logs are clean and, and buttoned up probably very soon. Yeah, I wouldn't wait much longer than January to get it done if you haven't already. So we just launched a 2022 Boot Camp with nearly 200 students. And we had a lot of people asking, you know, if they could still register, and unfortunately, registration for the January 2022 bootcamp is closed, and we'll be doing another one at some point later on this year. The date is to be determined. But you know what? You really don't have to wait And to get Tax Smart. You can actually still get Tax Smart today by signing up for the Tax Strategy Foundation course that Brandon created. And you can find that by going to courses.therealestatecpa.com, and you can use promotional code cpss so capital R E C P A to get a hundred dollars off that course. Just like the bootcamp, uh, it covers the real estate professional status, short term rentals, repairs, and improvements. And it also goes much further than that and covers things like entity structuring, cost segregation studies, paying your children, and a lot more. The tax basics are all in there. So you don't need to wait for the next Tax Smart bootcamp to become Tax Smart. You can go ahead and register and enroll in the course, which is open all the time. And you can do that by going to courses.therealestatecpa.com and use promo code RECPA for $100 off. We'll see you in the course, but until then,
1: happy investing. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients. And with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at realestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.